Folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson with you. Hey, hey. Um, I'm going to give you a little preview of what is coming up before we jump into our roundtable. So later on for our inbox, we have a listener who is thinking about moving to a new area so they can do more outdoor activities with people in their age group. So is this a good idea? Well, our producer, John Pearden, is going to share some of the pros and cons about moving to a new state. Hey, he has experience in that. And lessons that he learned from making a big move. Then for our culture segment, have you heard the phrase, your truth recently? Well, it probably sounds good, but is actually a lie. And popular apologist Elisa Childers is back with us to discuss some of the lies that our culture tells us and how we can combat them with the truth of God's word. So stay tuned for part one of our conversation with her this week. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And of course, we have got a fun group of regulars here, I would say. We've got John Pearden. Hey, John. Hello. Hey. We'll hear more from you later yes. in our inbox. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Bree is here. Hey, Bree. Bree Hello. Sharon. Hello. Hello. Georgia is back. Georgia, great hey. to have you. I also want to mention that as we are taping, even this moment, you are celebrating your birthday. So happy birthday whoop, whoop. to Georgia. Thank happy you birthday. so much. Um, in fact, I have. I'm going to use this for a shameless plug for okay. Boundless because do you guys know that now on Spotify, you can leave us little reviews and you can rate the show? We need y'all to do that, okay? Because I know I've been touting Apple Podcasts for a long time. You can leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. Do it if you're listening on Apple or on the radio. But if you're on Spotify, also leave us a review because this is how people find out about the show. It's Mm -hmm. how they decide to give us a chance. It's how they may decide to share it in the future. And um, we actually kind of perused some of the ones that we got. And this one was really fun. This person said, great episode as usual. Really appreciate George's input regarding social media idols. Wow. Maybe that was just you talking about your own idols. I know I don't have any, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, Thank I'm just you so teasing. much, listener. I know that's very sweet of them. I have talked often about my own idols, so I'm just saying that in jest. <laughs> um, but she says this is such a struggle these days. So blessings to the Boundless team. So even Georgia, a special little shout out for her birthday. Um, so well, happy birthday you. to you. Um, but don't get so caught up in celebrating Georgia that you forget to actually leave a review on Spotify too. Yeah, and you can you mention Georgia say, if you want to say happy birthday. Totally, yeah. that'd to- be great. <laughs> leave us a voicemail. She's yeah. totally okay with that too. I will play them for her personally. Mm-hmm. Or send me a gift card. I don't, it's fine. Super fun. <laughs> or send her a gift card. All right. Or we could just jump into our conversation today before people just like flatline and are like, I'm tired of wishing people birth- happy birthday. Okay. Um, so I already introduced all three of you. We are going to talk today because it is now the third week of January, y'all. And we need to be just done with talking about all the ways that we're going to completely revolutionize our lives, but we're not actually doing it, okay? (laughs) So today we're going to talk about staying inspired when you feel like giving up. And some people are going to think of this as just like, oh yeah, like with my workout program or whatever, but this can actually apply to a number of different areas. Sometimes you just feel down or you just feel like you're comparing yourself with other people or you just feel like... You know, maybe your whole life just feels like it's off track and stuff, and you're not sure that 2024 is going to be that much better. So I let's talk. Let's talk first about maybe starting some things because maybe some of us started some things a few weeks ago. We got all inspired and whatever. What do you guys find motivates you in starting something? Did you got? Did any of you 
start something now in the new year or even last year. In fact, I'm going to share. I started working out with a personal trainer and I did it at the beginning of December. So I wasn't that person who started in <laughs> January and then already fell off the wagon. So I felt like I got a little running start and it's been going okay. I mean, I'm I'm feeling good about it because I just felt like, yeah, I think I need some accountability with this. But what does it look like for you guys to get motivated? And have you done that recently? Yeah, for me, it's a couple of different things. Simply put, sometimes music can mm -hmm. be a good motivator for me. I love going to the gym. And so I need something to pump me up a little bit. Yeah, uh, I'm into hard rock and that sort of thing. So that that can be a good motivator for sure. But I have found that this year, one thing I'm trying that is helping so far is I'm actually giving my dad updates and saying, hey, mm -hmm. here's some things that I am working on right now. So I actually started doing a new workout routine a little bit this week. I'm a few days into it so far at the time of this recording, um, but my goal is for long-term effects. Mm -hmm. So I, I set a goal to work out over 250 days of this year, which is pretty ambitious because that that's is. about double for what I did last year, but I'm, I'm going for it. I, he, I've got my dad as my accountability partner. That's good. And you're checking off the days? You're keeping a yeah. tally? I actually put it right by my bed. I literally put okay. something that I could put by my bed where I put tally marks. So this morning it had three. Like... By end of day today, it'll have four. Okay. That's a little ominous. I'm thinking like Count of Monte Cristo, like ticking off the days he'd been in prison or something. But hopefully yours will be more uh, inspirational for all of us. So, okay, ladies, how about you? What yeah, well, this year, similar to you, actually, I started listening to audiobooks because I learned that I can actually get through books a lot more quickly because mm -hmm. I drive at least like a 20-minute commute. And I can crank out a book in like three days. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Um, so this year, I'm continuing that. And I'm trying to get through at least three books a month, which, like I said, I could get through them in three days. So I can probably do a lot more. But I set it at three a month. And I'm really looking forward to that. But John, to your point, I think it's a really good idea that whenever you set a goal, that you have some sort of accountability, mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, talking to somebody just like you're doing with your dad, or um, something that I was thinking about doing is, I don't know, like writing down whatever I did that day that actually met my goal, even if it was even if it was something that was like really small. So like if my goal is to be kinder, like writing down what was my kind thing that I did that day and just recognizing that those little one percent changes actually add up to be a hundred percent. And if I actually want to achieve my goal, it's helpful to to see my progress as I go. That's good. I don't usually set resolutions. I just kind of set goals throughout the year. So I guess similar to you guys is that I've already been kind of doing the things that I want to do. So I'm working on my photography. So I started doing that before the new year. And so that's something I'm leaning into. But I do think a big motivator for me is change. And so uh, whether fortunate or unfortunate, um, a lot of change kind of happened at the very beginning of the year. And so that has kind of been my core motivator. And so I think when things change around you, the one thing I can control are the things that I want to do. And so that's kind of what's motivating me to continue working on the things I want to do, continue working towards the goals that I've set throughout the year. Um, and so I think that's kind of what my motivator is right now. Yeah, that's good. I feel like I'm very motivated by lists and by checking mm -hmm. things off lists. Mm -hmm. I love the accomplishment of that. And I also, I don't have like a webinar, a TED Talk, a, you know, 
pick your poison, whatever, that I, I've never met one that I don't like. I will just consume those like candy. <laughs> I'm always like, if, I, if someone has 20 minutes to tell me something that I can learn, I just love it. And then I'm like, you know, writing all these things down and like, how can I incorporate this and whatever. So I've already done a couple of those this year um, in the last few weeks. And so that's been pretty, pretty cool uh, so far to, to be part of that and to say like, I'm going to learn it. But then my problem is then I force everyone else I know to like, listen to it. And I'm mm. like, listen to this, because here, we're going to do this together. Yeah, and then <laughs> so maybe I'm other people's unwanted motivation. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll see. Maybe I'll have to have them. You know what? I I saw a reel the other day that was actually really fascinating. And it was about somebody similar to you and like wanting to keep track of achieving their goals. But Mm -hmm. they realized that lists didn't work for them. And they instead made a bingo card for the year. And their goal was just to see how many bingos they could achieve with Mm -hmm. their various goals. And it could be as simple as like, I don't know, I want to go on one walk a week or something. Mm -hmm. But just bingo. That's very fun. And then to have, like, for every bingo, you give yourself a little prize. A little treat. (laughs) Treat yourself 2024. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for every time John and I complete, like, 10 workouts, we're going to go eat a pint of Ben & Jerry's. Right, John? That sounds like like, a great uh, reward. I'm I'm trying to resist that temptation this year. (laughs) I will hold you accountable to that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm already derailing us. So. Um, if you catch me eating Ben and Jerry's, just post that picture on social and shame me for it. Oh, <laughs> <So>. public <laughs> yeah. shaming. That's how, yes, you, that's how you get. That's motivating. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's take a dark turn here and talk about like, when are you just not motivated or what threatens to really discourage you? What do you see will easily just send you downward or start derailing you pretty, pretty fast? And, and actually, and what do you do about it? Let's talk about both of those. I'm recognizing this year, and I actually had a conversation with my dad about this over Christmas break, that I really need to get a good start for my days, whether it's work or whether it's morning routine, because I find that I thrive really well on rhythm. Mm -hmm. And if I'm getting in a good rhythm, that's huge, but it, it has to be started in those first few minutes for me because I can get very discouraged if I feel like I'm out of rhythm Mm -hmm. or if I'm not being as productive at work as I want to be. Or another thing too is I have to guard my sleep time. I'm currently trying something where I'm getting up earlier in the day. So far I'm doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I can keep this up for um, months down the road, but I have to guard my sleep too because if... I'm not getting enough rest. It's very easy for me to feel like the whole world is falling apart and my goodness, what is happening now? And then start spiraling down out of control. And when that happens, I need to recognize, okay, I just need to go get some sleep. I'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. We've talked about that before a little bit about like morning routines Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that, I mean, if you are that person listening that is like, getting up in the morning and you know what you're going to wear, you already have a lunch ready to take, you are doing a workout and you are doing your quiet time, you are like hashtag goals. I mean, I don't even know what to say to you because I just felt I came into work the other day and I was like, how do like working moms even get to work? Because I can't even get myself in here without carrying 20 different bags of various things that I'm like supposedly accomplishing throughout the day. I feel like I tried to stop somewhere on the way to work and then I was like, oh, I don't know. It's just crazy. There are some people that just can make it happen in sequence and have everything Mm -hmm. ready to go. I don't know. It's weird. How about what are some of the other discouragements? Or, Well, I think so I've started doing that. I actually, okay, that's kind of a lie. I haven't actually written anything down yet, but I want to. And I want to try and acknowledge the 1% changes because the thing that discourages me is not seeing 
progress made quickly or like, mm-hmm. okay, I set this goal, but nothing's actually changing. And it's been like a week already. Why is this not, why is this not fixed? Yeah. Why am I not amazing yeah, at that's this? That's called the all or nothing person because yeah. I've been that person most of my life. Yeah. yeah so, so the tracking the 1% changes, I think is going to be really beneficial to me because I think it's going to be saying like, okay, like I am doing small things each day towards this goal, whatever that goal may be. And that is a positive thing. And I have to be proud of myself for that. And I have to necessarily reward myself for that, but acknowledge it and acknowledge my progress because I think that'll be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's important to have a good mindset and know that you can believe something new about yourself, like that you can change and that you are a disciplined person. And yeah, it's going to take effort, but you kind of have to prove to yourself that you can be disciplined in order to actually make change. Mm-hmm. I think a big one is comparison or jealousy or enviousness, whatever you want to call it, just because when you have setbacks and you see other people succeeding or doing the things that you said you were going to do in the new year, whatever it may be, I think that causes me to feel discouraged and it makes me feel like I'm behind or I'm lagging because I'm at a different place. Um, And I think especially right now, I think that's something I'm feeling where I feel discouraged because there were goals that I had coming into the new year that are no longer going to be a part of my life. And that that feels pretty defeating when you kind of go back a couple squares on the, on the monopoly board. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just have to remember that, yeah, you're at a different place for a reason. And um, it's easy to compare when you're on social media. So not to call back to my original thing about social media idols and la la la. But if you're <laughs> on there and you're seeing every girl traveling to Europe and you're not doing that because you have financial goals that you're setting, or if you see that person get engaged and you thought you were going to be engaged, that can be pretty defeating. Um but I think that's where it comes in that you you can't just look at somebody's highlight reel and compare yourself to their highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to take a, a step back and remember that 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 is what it is. It's a highlight reel and it's not everything. And so, you know, remember what you're comparing yourself to is that it's not reality. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And I think it is so hard when you're in your 20s and assuming – I mean, there – this is why we have a life to live. We're not supposed to be doing everything awesome in the span of three years of our life. You know, there's mm-hmm. just a time for everything. And it might be mm-hmm. a time to, you know, build up a nest egg or to save for something that you want to do or to learn a new skill or to work on your career or whatever. And people will say like, but I want to do it all or I want everything. And, you know, it's often said like, you might be able to have not everything, but a lot of things, but certainly not at the same time mm-hmm. and not in the same season. And there's a different season for everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great point. I think of, for me, the thing that just came to mind was um, the idea of how I easily get derailed if I bite off more than I can chew mm-hmm. or if I just mm-hmm. let life start happening to me mm-hmm. and then I can get very yep. victim about that. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking because my housemate and friend just had elbow surgery 
And she kept being told by the doctor, okay, well, make sure you, you know, pay attention to your meds, stay ahead of the pain, stay ahead of the pain, because otherwise it'll be hard to get on top of it and you're going to be really, really hurting. And so I just thought of that in terms of like, yeah, sometimes I'll like volunteer for things and I've already got too much going on and then I'm not doing anything well and then I'm just mad and I start <laughs> quitting things and then I'm like, who did this to me? Someone told me to, do, you know, and then yeah. I'm just blaming people. And it's like, man, pick a few things and do them well or be, you know, someone was saying their goal for this year was to just live more in the moment mm -hmm. and to be mm -hmm. present with people that they're actually spending time with it's instead of goal. always looking at, you know, we don't need to think about like, where am I going to be in 10 years? If you don't know what you're going to be doing tomorrow and you don't haven't looked at that of like how you can maximize your tomorrow, mm -hmm. don't worry about 10 years from now. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's good. Okay. But let's talk about what it looks like to persevere. So let's talk about wanting to give up, like when you're just over it, or maybe you, you know, kind of Georgia alluding what you said made me think of Maybe you started something or you were in something with someone and now that person is a non-entity, you know? I mean, this could be dating, this could be a friendship that kind of blew blew up or whatever. Um, what do you do when just kind of something's going south and you need to maintain perseverance so you are really discouraged? How do you, how do you keep that going? I think you got to focus on what you can control mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, that is all you can control is yourself and the actions that you do. And so I think you can sit and wonder, you know, why am I here? Why did this happen? Why did things end or whatever, whatever it is? And you can sit and wonder those things. But um, if you choose to make the like next right step, I think that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. And so if that next right step is to memorize a verse so that you can get through the day, like that's good enough. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be like your whole life is transformed and that you're like, oh, okay, well, this thing ended. So I'm going to just shift everything and my life's going to change. It's like just make one small step and that is what you can control today. And if you can do that today, then tomorrow will be easier. Um, I think I think that's the biggest thing. Um, just circling back to even what you said about not biting off more than you can chew. I think another big proponent of change is that immediately after change, we want everything else to change mm -hmm. and we want everything else to be different because it hurts so bad. Um, but I think you just have to make one right step and then and then yeah. you can move on from there. Well, and right now I'm reading The Power to Change by Craig Groeschel. And in his book, and this kind of parallels the comparison thing on social media, but in a positive way of like, but it also goes along with you, the accountability piece that you were just mentioning of we are more likely to achieve our goals if we have other people pursuing those same goals. So if you have somebody who also wants to exercise, if you guys talk about it, it's going to encourage you to keep moving forward. But if you're doing it on your own, you might not be as successful as doing it with an accountability partner. But keep in mind that you can also be your own accountability partner. And I know this is a little bit weird, but I think you can hold yourself accountable by journaling or by tally marking or, you know, just keeping track of your progress. Because I just think that when you can visually see it, that's really helpful. And then when you can talk about it or even talk about like your struggles, like I just think it's, we are built to be in community. And I know that the Lord would have us be more successful by allowing others to support us in whatever season that we're in and with whatever goals that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as both of those are great thoughts. And 
kind of to your point, Bree, about accountability and also community, I definitely find that when I hit those moments when I'm tempted to quit, I need a motivation or another cliche way of saying it is find your why. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that cliche is actually very true because, I mean, we need to understand sometimes when we think about giving up and we think about, hey, am I going to be able to accomplish this or get back on track? I mean, what what is the reason why I want to persevere? That actually happened to me about three years ago in my career. I hit a really rough spot where I was offered a promotion, I was put on a time plan, and I didn't succeed at it. And I was devastated. I mean, I was really just in a tough spot. And I mean, I was pretty depressed most days when I would go home. And I finally had to ask myself, okay, am I going to quit or am I going to keep going? And the one thing that kept me going besides, obviously, my relationship with the Lord is I wanted so bad to call my mother. And yet I couldn't because she had passed away the year before. But I told myself in the middle of that time, I'm going to see her again one day. And I'm writing a story now that either I'm going to look at her one day and say, Mom, I'm sorry I quit. Or Mom, I'm so thankful you invested in me because I didn't give up. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, I was able to get that promotion a year and a half later. But that kept me going in the middle of it is I knew that she would not want me to give up Mm -hmm. and she would want me to keep going. Yes, it was really tough, but I knew that when I see her again in heaven, I would be able to say, Mom, thanks for all you invested in me because I didn't quit. Yeah. Well, that almost speaks to what Georgia was saying about, you know, what you can control because what you couldn't control was giving yourself a promotion. What you could control was Mm -hmm. making yourself a promotable person. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, that's ultimately what matters. That's Mm -hmm. what we have the ability to do. And it's all growth and it's all the opportunity to say the strength of character and the skill sets and the grit that's needed to move ahead Mm -hmm. is what ultimately, you know, is the measure of what we're becoming, not what someone else does with that. So I think it's important to to offer yourself some grace too, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because as much as we all desire to persevere, there are days where it's hard to do that. And I think that we need to offer ourselves some grace of like, okay, maybe I didn't meet my goal of exercising today, but that doesn't mean I can't do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you do it tomorrow, that's one more day than had you not done it at all. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You You are making progress. Yeah. I I always think of that when people are like, if I don't crush it five days a week, then what am I even doing? And I'm like, well, crush it three days a week. Then, you know, that's better than zero. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think, yeah, I think it's so helpful to think that through. So, well, awesome thoughts, you guys. I mean, this is like barely getting the conversation started, but hopefully those of you who are listening um, can find us, you know, on socials, give us your comments, what inspires you, what keeps you inspired, what kind of helps you get back up again when you feel like you can't. And uh, maybe some of these ideas have even motivated you to move forward. And so we will see. We can all learn from you, too. So thanks, y'all. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Lisa. I've walked among the shadows, you wiped my tears away, and I felt the pain of heartbreak, and I've seen the brighter days, and I break rest to heaven from my lowest place, and I have held the blessings God you give and take away. No matter what I have, your grace is enough. No matter what. I'm standing in your love
not alone. All right, folks, uh, joining you for this week's culture segment, which will extend into next week. So get ready for that. We are welcoming back a guest, our friend, Elisa Childers. You may know her um, from when we talked to her last time on The Boundless Show, and then it was about her book, Another Gospel. And we actually learned a lot of her own story and her journey through deconstruction and back. And now she is really doing a ton of apologetics and truth-telling and just kind of breaking down the culture and what we're seeing in the church and outside the church in terms of wrestling with truth and whatnot. Uh, she is also a speaker. She's an author. She's a podcast host of the Elisa Childers podcast. Like I said, an apologist. And you may, a few of you may know, I always say this because I'm like, you know, as, as Elisa comes in here, we're probably going to commiserate on this. Um, some of you millennials and maybe older millennials are going to remember her from the CCM Girl Group. Zoe girl. So um, you can give a collective cheer there. But Elisa, welcome back to The Boundless Show. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Does that seem weird when people just talk about that era? I mean, that was 90s, right? 2000s? Yeah, late 90s. Yeah, early 2000, late 90s. Yeah. No, it's not not so weird as it is. It's, It's always fun when somebody discovers that I was in Zoe Girl, and they didn't make the connection before. That's always fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's like, because I'm sure there's the assumptions, because there is across the aisle in, you know, general market pop of like, I'm sure these girls like, you know, don't really think about stuff. They just dance around and sing and whatever. And so now you get you get to, uh, you know, <laughs> yes, dig right. a little deeper. It's kind of fun. So that's, that's awesome yeah, for us absolutely. too. So, well, we definitely want to talk about your, uh, the book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. And obviously, anytime you have something come out, We're very excited to talk about it because this is where, with our audience being primarily Gen Z and millennials, a lot of our folks are living and just trying to figure out, like, what's real, what's not real, what did my parents tell me, what's the church telling me, why do all my friends believe differently or are trying to ask me to believe differently, and so... I would love, in light of the the title of the book, Live Your Truth, can you just start out this conversation um, with really why this book is needed at this time? I mean, I was thinking Mm -hmm. about this, and I was like, I don't remember my grandparents ever sitting around and being like, well, let's kind of parse out what, you know, we've been told and see what's truth and what we need to redefine and what. No one got all granular with that, but it seems like now— Everything's up for grabs. Everything's being redefined. Why in this generation in particular? I think the the number one reason that we have to be talking about all of these things now is because right now uh, we have access to social media. And on social media, it's almost as if we've recreated the Tower of Babel, but instead of it being a physical tower reaching to the heavens as we saw in the book of Genesis, it's really a digital Tower of Babel where the world once again speaks one language. And as we learned the first time, That's actually not what God intended for us. He actually didn't intend that kind of unity. And so when when there's just this giant megaphone into culture coming from absolutely every aspect, there's so much information out there, and it becomes more and more difficult, I think, for people to, like you said, parse through what's actually true and what's not true, because on social media, there is a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of spin. There's um, outright propaganda. And then there is some truth. It's, 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 I think, more important than ever 
to be able to have the tools of critical thinking to know, okay, how do I assess whether the claim this person is making is actually true? Does it line up with reality? And what even is truth? I think that's something a lot of people are thinking through right now because of social media and other influences. Our culture has become primarily postmodern, which is really hallmarked by a rejection of the idea that absolute truth could be known, especially when it comes to things like religion and morality, you know, what we should and shouldn't do morally. And so I think it's just a, a ton of confusion in culture. And it's just, it's an important uh, topic to, to talk about because really how we think about the rest of everything in the world is going to be really built upon what we think that word truth actually means. Yeah, and I do want to have you actually define that. But first off, I want to say, when you mentioned postmodernism, you actually talk about that in the book, that there has been a progression, and we're only talking about the last couple centuries, maybe not even that much, where we've moved from postmodernism and now into what we're calling deconstruction. Um, and it's been kind of almost a not only a progression, but a little bit of a frog in, in the kettle of seeing the culture move in that direction. Do you have like a maybe a, a short definition for each of those that will kind of show, you know, for those who don't quite remember their history or civics classes, how we leapfrogged from one to the other? Yeah, so you want me to define truth and post and deconstruction? Is that what you're... Or kind of like, let's go ahead and have you define postmodernism and how that oh, has yeah. led to deconstruction. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, great question. So that's really the important question. So postmodernism is uh, sort of a movement in history. It's, it's, a, it's loosely defined. It's, it's a lot of things. It was a response to the, uh, the hyper-skepticism and rationalism of the Enlightenment era, but ultimately, what it what it was was it was a critique of the idea that everything is just you know in the rational realm, and so it was sort of an extreme response to a, a different kind of extreme. But I think the easiest way to to think about postmodernism is it's really hallmarked by two things. And number one, it's hallmarked by a definition of truth called relativism. And basically, what relativism says is that truth is really relative to each person's experience, environment maybe cultural context, place in history, ethnic background, all sorts of different factors play into what the truth might be for an individual person. So therefore, it's relative to each person. And, and if that sounds confusing, it can be summed up in a mantra that I'm sure everybody's heard a bunch of times, and that's what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. So that's one hallmark of postmodernism. Another way to think about it is it's hallmarked by a, a hyper-skepticism. And here's what I mean by that. In the postmodern mindset, if you don't believe that absolute truth exists or can be known when it comes to things like religion and morality, then when the Christian comes along claiming to know what it is and actually making really absolute truth claims about things like what humans are, that we're sinners, that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, that there will be a final judgment, that there are, there are places called heaven and hell— these are objective claims that Christians make about reality, but in the postmodern mind, they don't actually think that is knowable. So rather than in engaging with the claim that the Christian is making by asking questions like, well, is that true? Is what the person is saying true? They're, they're thinking, well, that can't be known, so they must have a nefarious motive for saying such a thing. So I'm sure many of your listeners have probably experienced this, where maybe you go on social media you post a Bible verse or maybe something about the gospel, and someone will come on and say, well, the church just invented the doctrine of hell to control people with fear. 
or the church is just trying to prop up an institution of power. They're trying to maintain their power. So in the postmodern mindset, objective claims about religion, about morality, are seen as power grabs. And so that leads to a hyper-skepticism. It's, it's questioning absolutely any objective claim anybody makes about reality, especially when it comes to religion and morality. So that swings it back around to the self. And that's really what I think leads to post uh, to destruction uh, deconstruction, excuse me, from postmodernism. And so, in my upcoming book that's coming up in the uh, last week of January, it's called "The Deconstruction of Christianity." We really demonstrate this: how postmodernism, that rejection of absolute truth, is really what's informing this deconstruction movement that we see online. Because in the deconstruction movement, it's not about getting your theology right. It's not about lining up your beliefs with reality and certainly not about lining them up with scripture. It's about casting off all of these objective claims that have been handed to you, deconstructing those, and then constructing your own truth based on the beliefs and practices that you feel in your own heart work for you. So it's very subjective. It's very self-led. It's not based on an external authority for truth. It's really based on feelings and preferences and what someone individually feels helped by or harmed by. This is how beliefs are formed in the deconstruction movement, which is very postmodern. Yeah. Well, and which is very much opposed to what you say is the definition of truth. And I actually want to read it from the book. You say, and this is very concise, (laughs) you actually say Mm -hmm. truth is for all people in all places and times. It's also something you can't invent, think up or create. It's something you discover. It doesn't change no matter how much people's beliefs about it do. And I think that's so helpful, especially as we think of Scripture, the Bible, which seems to be the tipping point for so many people who are either self-proclaimed Christians or deconstructing Christians or former, you know, I was a Christian, but I'm not sure now or whatever, hinging on, and I kind of want, my question is kind of in, in this vein, um, because I feel like, Elisa, so many people I know will say, well, you know, the Bible's true, but there's nuance to it and interpretation of that truth. And so you got to take into effect cultural context or personal bias or gender or, you know, and so all of a sudden it's muddying the waters of, okay, is this authoritative? Is it absolute truth? Or is the Bible a series of guidelines that you're interpreting? (laughs) So help the Christian who's listening understand why the Bible is an example of objective truth and we're not to meddle with it. Yeah, great question. And this is something that postmodernism has really influenced, and that's the way people read the Bible. And the first question I think we all need to ask ourselves is, what is the Bible? Because if it's just another book that people wrote about God, well, do whatever you want with it. I don't care. But if it is truly God's self-revelation, then it really matters what the author intended to communicate. And so while it's true that lots of different Christians have different interpretations of Scripture, what we need to understand is, and this actually shocks audiences when I say this, but I think that's because we have all been so unintentionally influenced by postmodernism. But the truth is, is that there is only one correct interpretation of absolutely every single Bible verse. Now, that really shocks a lot of Christians because we do have different interpretations. But and, and see, we are the ones who are fallible in our understanding. But what we want to do is we want to come to Scripture seeking to understand what the author meant to communicate. And I'll just take that out of the context of the Bible and on, into the context of my book. Let's say 
that someone read my book and they read the story of uh, me meeting my favorite band and embarrassing myself, right? Now, if they assigned a completely different interpretation to the one that I intended, which was to communicate my embarrassment, and they took it to mean some kind of cosmic um, story of uh, redemption in some sort of, you know, frame or something, well, that wouldn't be what I intended to communicate. And so they would be getting away from the objective meaning of the text. Well, it's the same with the Bible. We want to try to figure out what the author intended to communicate. And so we have tools for that. It's called hermeneutics, which is the art and science of, of interpreting the Bible correctly. And how we do that is, first of all, to understand what the author was meaning to communicate. How did the first audience understand it? Because it can't mean something different for us than it meant for the first audience. And so sometimes that will mean uncovering some of the historical context, understanding uh, you know, what was going on in culture, who the person was writing to, and all sorts of questions like that. But, but we can't just interpret it any which way we want to, because the truth of the matter is you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say, but that doesn't mean that that's the objective meaning of it. And so there's one correct interpretation of each verse, and our goal as Christians should be to try to understand what that is. And granted, some verses are more clear than others. I think this is probably why we have differing views on secondary issues in different faithful streams of Christianity. But the Bible is very, very clear on the gospel. It's clear on morality. And I think a lot of times in our postmodern culture, people don't really like what the Bible is saying. So they're going to reinterpret it to mean something they want it to mean. But that, if we do that, then we'll just be making God in our own image rather than the other way around. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I actually, we're going to, you know, in the book, which again is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, you actually walk through a number of lies. We're going to go through three of them today. We just talked about truth and we'll, you know, we'll pick it up here. (laughs) Poor Elisa. I'm like, anyway, let's talk about this one. And then actually next (laughs) week, which I I told you guys, you got to come back next week because we're actually going to address another few of them. So um, Elisa, I want you to talk about the lie, you are enough. Um, because I would say this is whether you're getting this on social media, whether you are getting this from an ad campaign or you're getting it from Taylor Swift or pick whomever Mm -hmm. you are getting this from. This is pervasive in our culture. Uh, This idea, you know, we've seen it in uh, the born this way mantras. You're perfect. Accept me as I am. Why is it you're trying to make the argument that it's actually better if we are not enough? What are you trying to say Mm -hmm. there? Right. Well, I want to start by saying that I totally understand the inclination to tell someone you are enough. Like if they, if they've had horrible things spoken over them, maybe it's somebody who's been told you're never going to amount to anything. You're no good. You're talentless or whatever that they've been told lies they've been told. It can be so tempting to just pull out a little slogan like that and say, you know what? You're enough. And to think that, you know, it sounds positive. It sounds life affirming, but I want us to think a little more deeply about that because I think that the wisdom the Bible has to offer is so much more life-giving. Not only is it true, but it will lead to more peace of mind, whereas all these slogans, they lead to anxiety. We're seeing skyrocketing levels of depression and anxiety, especially among young people who are being told to look at themselves as being enough. So, So think about it this way. If you say to someone, you are enough, it sounds good, but underneath that, really what you're telling them is that they have to fix all by themselves all the problems that they probably created in the first place. Because, you know, our hearts are wicked, the Bible tells us. They lie to us. They lead us into bad places. And, And so when you say, well, you're enough, you're basically saying you have to dig down inside of yourself and find 
all of the tools that you need to fix yourself. And I think that's actually a, a message. It's a burden to put onto people. And ultimately, the Bible has such a better message by saying, actually, you're a sinner. Now, that sounds like really bad news, but the good news is good because we have to first know the bad news. And the bad news is, is that we are born with a sin nature. Our natural inclination is bent towards sin from the moment we are conceived in our mother's womb. We are born into sin. And so, so sin comes naturally to us. But the good news is that Jesus is enough. And so if we look at the story of the gospel where Jesus lived that perfectly sinless life that none of us could have accomplished and then took our sins upon himself on the cross, providing a way for us to be reconciled to God. And so I like to say it this way, you know, in the Bible, it talks about how when we put trust in Christ, his righteousness gets put on us kind of like a garment so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So I say it this way, I'm not enough, you're not enough. But when we, when you trust in Christ, his enoughness gets put on you so that when God looks at you, he sees the enoughness of Jesus. And that's really good news because Jesus is better than you'll be even on your best day. And so that way we aren't just looking inside of ourselves to fix all of our own problems. But we can actually go outside of ourselves to the real answer, the real cure, which is the gospel. Yeah, it speaks to that idea of, you know, we literally, we have been hidden in Christ and we no longer live, uh, you know, he lives in us. Right. So yeah, such a good point. Okay, this next one, uh, this next one, I'm a little hesitant to bring up because I actually love this next lie. And I, I really don't want <laughs> you to debunk it because it is you should put yourself first. Okay, and I am saying, <laughs> I have had girl, I have had a very hard week. And if everyone else is putting themselves first, well, who's going to look out for me? So you're going to have to sell me on this one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. And this one, I think, probably requires the most um, sort of coming at it from different angles, because what I want us to avoid are opposite extremes, right? We don't want to fall in the trap of not taking care of ourselves and almost, you know, beating our chests and, and punishing ourselves. And, and, you know, a lot of Christians, I think, can fall into those extremes. But the other extreme of that is putting yourself before everybody else and, and just kind of doing everything in our life from a self-motivated place. So think about myself as a mom. As a mom, I don't I, I I try to not put myself first. In other words, I do what I do for my kids, for my family, for my husband. But at the same time, I want to make sure I'm rested. I want to make sure I'm eating well, that I'm taking my vitamins, that I'm doing I'm exercising, I'm doing the things that give me life and energy so that I can pour myself out for others. But that's not the message culture is sending to us. And in culture, culture tells you, you know, step on whoever you have to step on to, you know, get that promotion, um, you know, put everybody else second, you, you got to come first. And, and in the book, I even talk about how we know deep down, even the most secular person, I think, knows deep down that that's not what heroes do. That's what the villains do in the movies. And I, I even talk about a couple of movies from the 90s. You know, nobody wants to go see a Marvel movie where Iron Man puts himself first, right? We want to see the Iron Man that gives his life for the world, right? Because we know, we recognize deep in our souls that, that self-sacrifice is morally good. That's what people do. And you know what? That's what the Bible says. Greater love has no man than he lays his life down for his friends. And so I think for Christians, we need to get off the hamster wheel of culture, avoid the extremes, and just live biblically, which means we recognize and respect the body that God gave us. We want to take care of it. 
We want to take care of others. But the Bible says that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I love that because that's really that solar, that cycle of re-energizing that we get when we serve others. And in the book, I even talk about it, not like a car running out of gas where you're pouring yourself out and just becoming depleted. It's really more like a solar panel where you're getting, you're going to the Lord, you're getting energy and strength from him. You're taking care of yourself so that you can pour that out onto others and then get more strength and more. And so it's kind of like this um, self, you know, energizing solar panel rather than a car running out of gas. And so I think it's really important to take care of ourselves, but we don't want to have this mentality where we're putting ourselves first because self-sacrifice is beautiful. And I think everybody knows it deep down, even if they've never opened a Bible. Yeah. Well, and I think as you're saying that, it just reminds me how we often overlook the fact that denying ourselves is actually okay. It's actually, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a muscle to strengthen that ultimately is is usually for a good reason for our good. You know, I think to myself like the other day, you know, in the dumpster fire that was, uh, you know, the holidays and moving into a new year and (laughs) everything else going on. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know, not tracking anything. I'm doing whatever I want because surely, you know, in the new year, I'll turn over a new leaf. And I'm just like sitting there in the pantry ready to grab just this caramel nut cluster because it's there. (laughs) And then I thought to myself, I can actually choose not to pick this up and not to eat it. That is my decision to make. And I can deny myself for a reason that is ultimately a better, a better reason. And I I think we overlook that. I think that's so important, especially when we think of, you know, it's a micro example of bigger and better ways that we can do that, um, not only for our good, but for the good of others, as you made that point. So such a great, such a great point there. Okay, well, we're going to have to ask you to come back next week to talk through a few more of these. So if you are willing, um, we're going to knock a few more of those out. Is that okay with you? Let's do it. Sounds great. In the meantime, folks, I want you to know, because you can even get this before next week and follow along with us. Uh, The book is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. This book is available to you this week and next, quite frankly, um, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. And so how do you do that? How do you get it? Go to Boundless.org, search for 833, this week's episode. You'll see the book cover there. You just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless for this new year of ministry, for all the stuff that you're getting from us content-wise. We will send a copy of Elisa's book to you as our thank you to you. So it is that easy. You make it happen, and we will go from there. So Elisa, again, thank you so much. Thanks, Lisa. KB, get em. Ooh, ain't taking nowhere, singing nowhere in the summer, boy. Ooh, I ain't want to go there, but oh well, we don't lose for nothing, boy. If we deceased indeed, we will be again. Angels and demons, neither these heaters can ever get in between. I believe that we will win. No, the end like I cheated. Can't guarantee it, but Jesus can. Running on Yonka Board, it's the fast track. On Yonka Board, it's the fast track. Even when they hanging on me, homie, I don't get mad. I just keep speaking these glad raps. Yeah. Came, I came, I saw, I saw. Conquer all across the chalk and all to y'all. Break off the wall, hinges drop them all. Talk and flop, but homie, all we all. All we all. Flawless, flawless, flawless. God of all this, a fall with y'all. The storm is a heart that's all as they fall apart. But God is farthest. Infinity in between, gotta make it in the darkness. Undefeated. There's no stopping us. Undefeated, no doubt we're champions. Undefeated, can't hold us down. We're rising up. Infinity and no, unstoppable.
All right, folks, we are finishing out the show by opening up our inbox. And this week, we have our own John Pearden answering the question. Hey, John. Hey, Lisa. Well, it's very good to have you. And you know I chose you for this question because uh, this person wants to know, they have a little conundrum about moving. And so we're going to put it out there. And this is something that I know, you know, maybe you felt you had a little uh, resonating moment with. So... Um, They are wondering, I'm a single person in my mid-20s, and I'm thinking about moving to a new state because I enjoy things like mountains and hiking. I feel a little selfish to move just for those reasons, but it's very hard to find people my age with the same interests in my current city. How do I know if I'm moving for good reasons or just trying to escape a hard situation? So is this something, John, where you're going to say, you've done this selfishly so many times, (laughs) you're an expert. So I'm, I'm eager to hear your answer. First of all, great question. Thank you, listener, for writing to us and for being willing to ask it. My first thought was you could move to Colorado Springs because this is literally in our backyard Uh if you wanted to come out here. Self-promotion of our state. Okay. Uh, All kidding aside, though, I was a little struck by the phrase that you used, and it was, I feel a little selfish to move for just those reasons. And maybe... A good thought for you is to actually reframe your perspective a little bit to find out, are you coming at this selfishly or are you not? So here's two questions that I would recommend you ask yourself and just ask yourself honestly. The first one is, with these desires, can I serve God with this desire? Is this actually a godly desire that I can use to further his kingdom? And then the second one, which is probably equally as important is, can I build healthy community with these desires? And also, can I serve other people? If the answer to those questions is yes, you're probably not as selfish as you might think. And if you can say yes in good, clean conscience, I would encourage you lean into those desires a little bit. I love Psalm 37 when it tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That encourages me a lot because I used to think that meant God is going to take my desires and make them stronger. Well, actually, if our goal is to serve God and to love him more, he will put desires in our heart that are from his heart. And so many times, even though it may not seem spiritual, if your desire is to really love the Lord, um, be willing to lean into those desires because God can use them, even if you don't think they're that spiritual, he can use them in some amazing ways. A couple of things I will say, though, about moving to a new area, and this is very, very important. That first year is pretty tough if you're going to live in a new state. There's a big temptation to think that the grass is greener on the other side, but I know from personal experience, I battled homesickness a lot that first year that I was out here in Colorado, having moved from South Carolina. If you do decide to pull the trigger on this, um, I would point you to a bit of advice that I was given from one of my former roommates, who's still a great friend of mine. And he told me, give it a year, go all in, see what God does. Because you're trying to make new friends. You're trying to get used to where is the grocery store? You're trying to get used to where is the bank? You're trying to get used to just what church am I going to go to? I mean, these are all just important factors to consider when you move to a new area. And it takes a while to be uprooted and then get replanted and for your roots to grow down. So take that into consideration and realize that, hey, you're going to have to give yourself a lot of grace and a lot of patience during that first year. 
If you are thinking about moving to a new area, I would also encourage you, maybe if you've not been before, come out for a week and take a trip and see, hey, do I like this area more after coming out here? Or were the pictures online just cool? And then I'm actually in this area and I don't like it. (laughs) Because you'll learn a lot by just coming and visiting an area for a few days. Lastly, I will also say, um, for people who listen to the show, you know that I enjoy hiking, I enjoy the outdoors, but that did not even start until well after a year after I moved out here. It took me a while to get established before I really dove in and started doing those things. And kind of tying this all back to the first questions that I asked, can I serve God with this desire? I honestly have grown deeper in my faith through doing outdoor activities, through going hiking, because I've gained a deeper appreciation for God's creation, and I've also been able to make great friends along the way. So these are things to consider. Moving's a big, big task, but if you have peace in your heart as you pray about it, be willing to lean into these desires, because God may be willing to use it in some great ways. Yeah, such great advice and good experience on your own part that you were able to share as well, John. So thanks for doing that. You're welcome. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. I do want to bring to mind uh, the fact that you are listening to our podcast. Uh, Do you know that we also have a YouTube channel? If you go to YouTube and search for Boundless.org, our channel, you will see that we have a new thing there, Boundless, the audiobook. And there we are making available our articles in audio form. And so those of you who love to listen, as you must, because you're listening to this show, you can actually get our other content, our articles now via Boundless, the audiobook. And so we're featuring especially some of our Monday features there. And so go check it out. You'll see some samples there. And then make sure you like and subscribe and let us know what you think. And uh, otherwise, we will see you around next week for this show. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. She hated the person God created her to be, and she blamed him for her gender. Laura Perry Smaltz lived nine years in a transgender lifestyle, trapped between two identities. But God, her family, and friends never forgot who she truly was. At the upcoming Lighthouse Voices event by Focus on the Family and the Colson Center, Laura shares her remarkable redemption journey. Join us Tuesday, March 19th at 7 p.m. Register at lighthousevoices.org.